Live. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, good evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to T25C on Galaxy Talk Radio. Here at Roswell's Corner. Yes, I'm jamming T25C on radio. We got the baddest radio station in the land. All types of music, all genres of music. Listen, go to the app store on your phone, download the free app at T25C on radio. And listen to our music 24-7. Trust me, you will enjoy it, okay? All right. Well, welcome to Robin's Corner. Um, Tonight, it's going to be a one-on-one with my listening audience. And tonight, you know, how I always start, you know how I start my show. You know how I do it. Uh, T25CL, we are an innovative company doing global distribution for all our independent music artists. And if you are an independent music artist, want to get your music out there on a global platform, T25CL is the place to come. T25CL Entertainment. And download all our music from our independent music artists and film and the book by Dr. Nanano Cueco. Go to our website at www.t25cl.com. And trust me, you will enjoy just perusing through the website. Great, great information. Go to the news. Uh, go to all the areas on on the, on our site. Uh, trust me, you'll have a good time. You, you'll enjoy looking at all the information and all the uh, shows that we've done in the past uh, for all our shows. Um, you can, of course, go back and listen to them. They've, been, of course, been recorded. Uh, but you'll enjoy it. Trust me, you will. All right? And, of course, don't forget your night week. Damn, come on now, somebody. Ninety weeks, damn. Got to go there and, and listen to uh, and look at the great movie, documentary entertainment that uh, we have um, put together as a company. And trust me, you will really enjoy it, okay? Well, tonight, yeah, it's going to be a one-on-one with everybody, okay? So uh, I won't hold you too long, but you know, I, I wanted to go over, you know, what's really been transpiring um, this past week. It's uh, been really, uh, you know, sombering, you know, uh, what's going on with our kids. When we think about our families, we think about our, our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever the case may be, our nieces, nephews, okay? Um, and there's safety in our schools. Uh, wow. It, it, it's really crazy. But I'm going to share some information with everyone tonight, and I know, you know, there's uh, so much more that can be shared uh, regarding, you know, the crime in this nation is just, it's just mind-boggling, you know, to see what's going on in this free world we call the United States of America. Um, but uh, before we do, we also want to hand out our condolences and give our prayers and, you know, uh, you know, and then, and, and you know, like I said, condolences to the family of none other than the great Billy Graham, who passed away um, yesterday at the age of 99, 99 years young. Yes, he lived a full life. I remember my grandmama used to listen to him, man. He was back when the Truman days, okay? He's been around a long time, but he has really um, made an impact on you know, the the the, um, the world, you know, as humanitarian, as a pastor, as a minister, evangelical. He wasn't evangelical. 
Um, but, you know, he, um, one of those men, you know, you really just sit back and really listen to, you know, because he didn't, he didn't talk at you. He talked to you, you know. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people who are trying to talk at you, in this, you know, religious realm. Uh, but there are quite a few people still who like to just talk to you, you know, and and share, you know, their life and their thoughts and things that they've been going through in life and, you know, give you advice, you know, wisdom, you know, um, counseling. So, um, like, again, I said, uh, we just want to, you know, offer our condolences to the family of Billy Graham. All right. So tonight I, I wanted to go over this um, when we were talking about, you know, the school shooting at Parkland. I mean, it's it's really, um, like I said, it's so mind-boggling what's going on in schools, schools. You know, um, I'm going to give you some statistics. I'm going to give you uh, some information of the comparison of the, the profile of shooters uh, who go into these schools or, you know, shooting up or schools, you know, universities, elementary schools, high schools, you know. Um, But when you think about crime in schools and colleges, and there was a study of offenders and and, uh, uh, arrestees, you might say, that was reported by the National Incident-Based Reporting uh, System data. And it says, you know, it says that schools and colleges are are valued institutions that that, uh, that help build up the nation's foundations and serve as, you know, an arena where the growth of stability of future generations begin. You know, our kids are our future, you know. Crimes in schools and colleges is therefore one of the most troublesome social problems in the nation today. And I can get an amen from that. Not only does it affect those involved in the, the criminal, you know, criminal uh, incidents, but it also hinders societal growth and stability. Think about the the, the, the the impact that it has really had on a child's mind, a teacher's mind, a parent's mind, and a neighbor's mind, a relative's mind, when a loved one is lost, a child is lost in a shooting, a teacher is lost in a shooting. So in that light, it is vital to understand the characteristics surrounding crime in schools and these colleges and universities and the offenders who reportedly commit these offenses so that law enforcement, policymakers, school administrators, and the public can, you know, probably combat and reduce the amount of crime occurring in these institutions. I was looking at the news today. Uh, of course, they were showing how these kids um, marched on their capital. Uh, they're in Florida. How they are going to make a march on the on in D.C. They have the support of our half a million dollars has been was contributed was contributed by uh, George Clooney and his wife, by Steven Spielberg, and by Oprah Winfrey. They are contributing to these young kids who are going to the Washington going to Washington and state their case. Now, of course, when they made their march to the Capitol there in Florida in their area, they um, were turned down. I mean, you know, they did not pass any or made any changes to their gun laws. 
So you think about the tremendous resources that have been used to develop a, a myriad of federal and, and non-federal studies that focus on identifying the, the characteristics surrounding violent crime. Properly, you know, you, know, you, you think about just, just crime in general, property crime and, 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 and now any other crime against society in schools. So the objective of such studies is to, you know, identify and measure the crime uh, problem facing the nation's more than 90,000 schools and nearly 50 million students that's in these schools, that's in an attendance today, okay? And I'm going to share, I'm going to share five, five, five subjects, you know, just, just five points I want to share with this with you when we think about, you know, the schools. And, and, and the resources and, and things that need to be done, okay, when we think about it. And I'm sure everybody, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, opinions and people can share their, their views on, you know, what can be done, what changes can take place. So number one, they said that the findings of these studies have generated significant debate surrounding the actual levels of violence and nonviolent crimes and the need for preventative policies. Some research this, uh, indicates that there has been an increase in school violence activities, such as a study from the, you know, that um, this institute had made uh, from the School Violence Research Center, uh, which showed that the percentage of high school students who were threatened or injured with a weapon increased from 1993 2001. Okay? Just think about that time in between those times, 93 and 2001. Now, of course, we had the 9-11-2001. Okay? Um, and then point two, other resources note decreases in student victimization rates for uh, both violent and nonviolent crimes during a similar period, which was 92 to 2002. And then, moreover, the circumstances surrounding crime in schools, colleges, and universities are not always the ones that gain wide notoriety. I'm going to share with you the difference when we have the male dominance who are going in and shooting these schools and the female who go in shooting in these different institutions. Yeah, there's some females out there, okay? And I'm going to share that with you. But the most significant problems in schools are not necessarily issues properly considered important as most, well, as most um, conflicts are, are related to every school and their interactions. And, 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 and there's a lot of things, like I said, that has not been reported, you know. And then furthermore, the National Center of Education uh, Statistics notes that it is difficult to gauge the score of crime and violence in schools without collecting, you know, enough data. Given the large amount of attention devoted to isolated incidents of extreme school violence. And then the last point here is that, you know, these conflicting conclusions concerning the ability to measure the overall situation of crime in school, colleges, and universities, and, and these environments make it difficult for policymakers to assess the effectiveness of policies and their impact on this phenomenon, okay? I know it's a lot to take in, but just consider that. Just, just think about that, okay? You're here at T25CL, Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roswell's Corner. 
Uh, oh, let's see. Look, we got we have a caller on the line. Let's see who this is. Looks like this is Galaxy Chief. Hey, Chief, what's up, sir? Hey, 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 what's up there, space girl? You, so got it, you got it, you got it. Just uh, doing a one-on-one with my listening audience tonight. I wasn't going to keep it long, but you know how it go. I'll get to talking in here. I'm going into two hours. <laughs> I know. But you I'm, get it. I see you covering the world today. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. But it's all good. It's all good, you know. The show mm-hmm. must go on. The show must go on. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Y'all know, because I know you've been watching the news and all this crazy that's going on in this nation, you know, with our kids. And I, again, when we think about kids, we think about our kids, you know. Mm-hmm. When when uh, we had the parents go and meet with Trump, and this one father, he got up, you know, he said, I'm tired of it. Enough is enough. I'm never going to see my daughter again. I'm never going to see her again. And all the time I'm thinking about, I wonder if Trump is thinking about his son. I wonder if Trump is thinking about his grandkids. You know? I wonder mm-hmm. if he's thinking about he needs to make some type of a change because this could have been my son. This could have been my grandchild. You know? I, I, I think about that. But then on the opposite side of the coin, I think about that over three million or whatever the case may be that the NRA didn't, you know, donated to his campaign. So mm-hmm. six of and a half a dozen in the other. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's really, um, like I say, it's really mind-boggling to think that we as a nation is going through this. He's worried about the, you know, collusion and all this kind of, you know, craziness, which you know, that's another. Another topic within itself, but um, when you think about the changes that need to be made, I mean, even a young man just said some boy, some young guy, 18, 18 or nineteen years old, went into a, a gun shop, bought an AR fifteen with an expired ID. Mm-hmm. Now, how could that happen? You know, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Okay, these gun shops are not abiding by the law. They're just, you know, making it that they're out there for the book. It's like the NRA. Hey, that that has nothing to do with us. We gotta keep on pushing, you know, keep on pushing to do what we're doing, you know. Um, but there you are. I don't think they feel any um, remorse about them selling guns because hey, that's that's their livelihood, you know. But on the other hand, I know these these guns these NRA members have family. Have children, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. What, happen, what will happen to them if their son or their daughter's school got shot up, and it was, you know, one of their children that that got killed? Does mm-hmm. it take their children, does it take their children to die in order for them, as members of the NRA, to make a change or to help make a change in the law? So it's it's a lot to talk about. I know it's it's a heavy topic, but I mean we got yep. to think about it. Well, Let me ask you know, Go ahead. America was founded on violence. Ever since mm-hmm. they departed Europe and came here, they came into these shores killing people. Yes. First, the Indians, they killed them all. <clears throat> 
That wasn't good enough, so they came and got us from the wet shore of Africa and then just start killing us for sport and play. And now the biggest uh, budget in this entire country is for what? Killing the Defense Department or the War Department. A trillion dollars a year to develop more and more guns and tanks and bullets. Now, here's something, too, you can throw out, because you know I always stir up the soup a little bit. Mm-hmm. What is so different? And you, you notice that now that because uh, these were some very affluential children that were killed last week. This wasn't from South Central, wasn't from Watts, wasn't from East Oakland. This was in a very upper income area there in Florida. Even the shooter was from an upper income uh, neighborhood, beautiful neighborhood. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, now since this has happened, had a let's call it an affluential neighborhood. Now you have the children that are upset from the school. You have some parents that are upset. You have <coughs> excuse me people in the community that are upset because this happened to them and now they're ready to stand up for change. Now here's my question. What is so different than when Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, stood up for when black folks were getting killed on the streets by guns? Preacher, brother, yes. All right, and so now they want to ostracize him. They came against him. They blackballed him from the NFL. They... Uh, came out against the NFL players, came out against some of the NBA players because they dared stand with him, with his vitriol, because of black lives being killed. Mm -hmm. So my question to you and anybody else that's hearing my voice anywhere in the world, how come there is such a pledge of support for these killings in Florida of those of the affluential. But when Kaepernick spoke up for the poor, it's an issue. It's a problem. What's the difference? Nobody's doing this analogy anywhere. I'm the only one that's come out with this analogy. I just thought they might come out with it on uh, on first take in the morning, they haven't hit it. None of these other talk shows have hit it, whether it's on radio or television, to do a comparison analysis of this whole thing. But when those of affluence want to rally, and when they want to take to the streets, when they want to get the microphone the little white girl down there in Florida that was being on the microphone when she got up and started espousing her words 
about this gun control. Oh, yeah, they were all cheering. They were cheering about her on the network and the, uh, all the people there on the podium and in the audience. Oh, look at this little girl. She is so smart. She's so nice and so bright and so brave. But that little girl was Kaepernick. They are both coming out about the same thing. The killing of people with guns. It just so happens that when you look at this scenario, when it's poor black people getting gunned down on the street, how dare you say anything about it? And if you speak too loud, we're going to blackball you. But if you're a young, white, affluential girl from from Florida, Parkland, Florida, you speak of how brave, how smart you are. Look at this little girl. We are so proud of her. But that Kaepernick, don't give him a job. He's a rabble-rouser. He's anti-American. The little girl in Florida is a hero. Am I wrong yeah. in looking at No, 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 no. I, I, I understand where you say. I, trust me, I do understand where you're coming from. I think I heard maybe one radio show host mention that um, last week, and it was just one. You know, I, I haven't heard anything uh, since then. But your analogy, when I think about uh, Colin Kaepernick and standing up against, but he was standing up against you know, policemen, uh, the establishment gunning down African-Americans. This young girl standing up against another affluent person, you know, who um, has access to guns, who, who, who got adopted by uh, this white family who didn't know nothing about him, only knew him for a very short time and gave him a gun safe, and he comes into their house with umpteen guns, and, and so they allow that. So when you think about the one side of the coin and the other side of the coin, you look at Kaepernick, who's standing up against the violence against African Americans and against, you know, uh, police brutality and the gunning down of our African American um, brothers and sisters. Um, and then you have the young white girl who's on the other end of the coin, who's standing up for the white establishment, the, the affluent, the affluential, those with the money, among those with the deep pockets, you know, who wants to go in there and make a difference. They're trying, and, and this is what I'm saying, this is my opinion, not the opinion, the opinion of T25CL. They're trying to keep that money in that pocket. They're still stirring that pot, right? With the little mm-hmm. white girl, she's standing up, she's hurt, her classmates got gunned down, you know, and of course, we as human beings feel for these, you know, these kids. I feel for these kids. You know, I, I would not be human if I did not feel for these kids, whether they're black, white, purple, yellow, green. Um, but they, they still got gunned down. Mm-hmm. But when you take it, when you take it to a different level of, 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 of you know, the, um, how the media is portraying it, how uh, the news reporter is saying, Oh, I, I rode on the bus with the, these kids, and they're brilliant, and they're, you know, you know things of that nature. 
Um, of course, but then we think about our kids, you know, who were gunned down. Even, you know, even still getting gunned down. A little 16-year-old got gunned down, got shot in the head four times by the police. So mm-hmm. on, our side, on our side of the coin, we're fighting against the establishment of police, against authority, against the, the rules. Where on this side of the coin, they're fighting in against the deep pockets of the money, the NRA, the rules of stat, the rules of engagement, whatever, however you want to uh, uh, um, um, phrase it. Um, so it's it's like it's like day and night, really. It's like day and night. And the thing of it is, they are still um, within that 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 mesh, within that net of you know. Something has to be done. We have been fighting this for how long now, Chief? Come on, you know how long we've been fighting this for? <laughs> you know, over 400 years. Okay. Mm. Now you have, you know, the the, the the white kids who are in an affluent area, and you think about all these shootings that's been going on, like you say, uh, the Sandy Hooks, and you know, the colleges, and uh, Virginia Tech, and you know, the all these other colleges that. Um, are you know uh, predominantly white, and this is another thing that I, I wanted to share this. I wanted to share this too because I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, be when because when you think about the shooting, it is said that it is often said that school shooters are white males. Now, of course, they usually are male. You know. I mean, after all, violent crimes in, in general is overwhelmingly a male phenomenon anyway. You know, you got your girls who are, you know, sidekicks. And school shootings are no different, okay? The perpetrators on large-scale school violence, however, are not always male. And like I said earlier, and in the interest of understanding the prevalence of these attacks, we can uh, recognize that sometimes there are females that go on the rampage. And I wanted to share with share this with my listening audience before we go back on this topic on what you were just sharing right now. Um, but here are a few examples of female school shooters. And this opened my mind because, I, you know, I didn't really uh, realize this, that back in 1979, a 16-year-old uh, Brenda Spencer committed a sniper attack on a, on a Cleveland elementary school in San Diego. And 1988, another young girl, no, she was she was 30 years old, shot young children in a Hubbard Woods uh, elementary school in Illinois uh, at Penn State in 96. I know about this one. Uh, 19-year-old Julian Spencer, who was trained in, in, in the military, you know, in the Army Reserves as a, as a sharpshooter, uh, often fired on random, uh, on the random, she opened fired on random, on random kids. Uh, Latina Williams, a 20-year-old nursing student at Louisiana Tech, killed two of her classmates in 2008. And then, of course, in 2010, you, you think about Professor um, Amy Bishop, shot six of her colleagues in a bio, uh, biology department at the University of Alabama. So there are several, you know, possible reasons why, you know, these women are not always broadly recognized as school shooters because it wasn't broadly broad, broadcast. Uh, and part of the issue may be how we define school shooting. I mean, if we think of 
uh, we think of them as uh, attacks uh, perpetuated by middle school or high school students at the school, uh, you know, that they currently attend. And some of these females were school shooters, okay? But the young girl who was 16 years old, she was a high school student. But she shot people uh, at an elementary school that that she attended years earlier. So she maybe had a bandana, I don't know, whatever the case may be. But uh, the other lady, uh, Lori Dunn, she gunned down children out of school she had no connection with. You know, so we have these, these incidents of what is going on in the mind of these people. You know, and you think about a second factor um, that may be that, that uh, of these two occurred well before the school shoes as a concept uh, being lodged in, the nation, uh, in national you know, uh, consciousness because they occur in the 70s and 80s. What was going on in the 70s and 80s? Mm-hmm. That man is, you know, there, there, oh, well, so much was going on. And then finally, the shootings by females did not result in a large number of victims as, you know, as these, these men do. Uh, because news coverage is significantly determined by, you know, the number of fatalities. You know, if you go in there and shoot one person, you know, and it's, okay, one person shot dead, and then they go on with the news. They go, they move on forward, you know. And these attacks may not have been, you know, the same impact or discourse relating to the school shootings, but is the school shooting, you know, in the, in, the, in the interim, okay? And then when you think about it, when it comes to non-white shooters, there is a more racial, ethnic uh, diversity than, than, than you think about, than you can think about that's often realized. Um, there have been at least eight shooters of Asian heritage, okay? Uh, Gang Lu was a, an international student from China uh, who committed his attack uh, in Wayne uh, uh, at an immigrant uh, school. And then he was from China. There was another one from China, but... You have these different people from all over, but um, can you tell me? And I don't, I can't, I can't really think about it. I mean, you had your Latino shooters, but when you think about shooters, African American, you had one uh, Tyrone Mitchell back in '84. Uh, he opened fire on the school uh, in the schoolyard in L.A., right. uh, shooting 12 people. He shot 12, but I don't think it, he killed them. Uh, another man who was from uh, from Algeria, uh, he, he conducted his rampage at a, at, um, a polytech that was in Montreal in 89, but this is way back. And another guy who was of African descent uh, who killed people at the uh, Appalachian School of Law in Virginia, that was in 2002, he was Nigerian. And then, of course, the Latino, uh, the girl I talked about who uh, shot before was an African-American. But when you think about this, the comparison of all those who are shooters and mass shooters are of Caucasian descent, what do you feel about, you know, their upbringing, their, their lack of uh, respect of life compared to, you know, African Americans and there's maybe a, a few Latinos, but let's say other racial um, backgrounds. But what do you think is the mindset that's going on with within a family structure within these homes? What do you think? I know you have you don't know what's going on in these white folks' homes, but 
You know what I'm talking about. That's, that's a very, very heavy um, subject matter. There, I mean, we can really go deep in into that one, the real cause and and effect on that. But you can really get into it by getting into Elijah Muhammad's book, Message to the Black Man, where he there's a chapter in there um, called The Creation of, of the Devil. And it, it breaks it down why in totality of, of that of that question, but to look at it from right here, what has gone on over the four hundred years, as I said earlier, um, you know, with the Euro- European influence, and you have to look at what has happened historically here in this country. And this is why if you, all you got to do is just go on the facts, on historical facts, and it will explain a lot of things. And because of what has happened over the past 400 years here, we are now still in that, that cone of influence of that uh, genetically, emotionally, psychologically, we as as black folks, what 160 years or so, just out of slavery. Uh, here it is. I I got what uh, uh, one cousin now that he can say that his grandfather was a slave. I have one last surviving aunt up in Oregon who can say her father was a slave. And so we are just this close to all the humble beginnings of all this stuff. And and as I said before, you know, when slavery ended, all America had to do was issue its apologies and its reparations for that and make black folks or bring black folks in all inclusively into the society where freedom, justice, and equality is here. And um, and then with us, along with them, helping to make this place a better place. But the mistake that was made after the uh, emancipation was they wanted to continue the, the evil and continue the things that had happened previously and but maybe change the rules somewhat and create new laws, create, create various organizations, and just do things with a wink and a nod. And now here we are, 160 years past slavery, and we're still dealing with these sort of things. Now, it just so happens that this thing down here in Florida was not a white-on-black thing or a black-on-white thing. It was a white-on-white thing. Man, there's one other thing, too, that you can look at as well. You know, um, Frank Sinatra was in a film back in the 50s called The Manchurian Candidate. Um, Denzel Washington was in a remake of this film, Manchurian Candidate. And 
these are, even though they are motion pictures, it's one thing for sure is that through the advent of motion pictures, they actually are letting you know in the film industry, hey, this is what has happened, this is what's happening, and this is what is going to happen. And it just so happens in your military, you do have these Manchurian candidates. There are people walking all around this country that are just walking time bombs. And I was waiting on it. I was waiting on it and waiting on it. I didn't tell anybody. I was just waiting on the key phrase in this thing from last week in Florida. <clears throat> the kid who did the shootings, he said the same thing that these other shooters are saying. I heard voices. And when you hear that voice, you have to react. And a lot of these people have have have, have been planted with 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 a seed or whatever it is. And all it takes is for them to get their marching orders, and then boom, people get killed. And they usually, this usually happens when there's a lot of mess going on politically, and especially when you have the president or your, your government that has a major problem. And then they will put these Manchurian candidates out there, and then this will take other issues out of the media for a short period of time. Now, usually these mass killings like this, they usually go in maybe like a 72-hour news cycle before it is concluded. But see, now this one has been going off now for about a week because it has to deal with people that are affluential. And so now if it's those who are affluent, and now this thing is spreading out, then this thing has got to stay in the news now because it's spreading and becoming more pervasive. And then when you get into the subject of guns, um, there was uh, in uh, Kansas, somewhere in one of these little small towns in Kansas, he has had that on the news early this morning, that uh, they're trying to raise money for the baseball team. So the baseball coach, came up with this idea, somebody had given him a gun or something, the same gun, the AR-15, and now they're raffling this gun off, and ever since the, the killings, the raffle tickets are, are skyrocketing. Over the same gun that killed the children in Florida. Now, you would think that the school board would say be a little bit more sensitive and say, in light of things that have happened in Florida, maybe this is not a good idea to put a gun out there. Yeah, but, but they again, have- that they did that because their excuse, just like the NRA when they just had their um, their show 
um, you know, and, and people going and buying a gun. Their excuse was, this was planned way before this, you know, and it was, it was in the making before all of this happened, so we had to stay on course. Yeah. Money. 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 Well, and also for the love of guns as well. And, and see, here's the, the, the sick thing about all this. The NRA will come out and tell you that guns don't kill people. People kill people. And they said, well, cars kill people. But do you want to have a moratorium on cars like you want to do with guns? I said, well, okay, I'll tell you what. I, I sure wish I could talk to some of these NRA idiots. i tell you what. Let's do the same thing with guns that you do with cars. i got to have a license. i got to take a test in order to drive a car. So why don't you have to, why don't you get a, have to take a test and get a license in order to buy a gun? Now... To drive the car, gotta have insurance. Why do I have to have insurance? Because if I accidentally hurt an innocent party, I am covered, they are covered. And so if they are damaged medically, if their property is damaged, the insurance will come in and settle the debt. Yeah, but then you're then you're dipping into but then you're dipping into the aspect of the insurance. People are not going to want to pay those premiums for that insurance. They're not going to, you know, there's always a catch-22 to all, all of that. You, that's a good idea because there has to be something needs to be done because uh, definitely, Chief, if I think they would put you before a, a panel of, of these folks, you would, you know, give them a, a, a thing or two to think about. But you think about if if there was insurance, then you have then you have the in the insurance lobbyists. We shouldn't have to, you know, if we're going to do this, we we need to skyrocket our premiums and you know and 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 make a whole you know to do about you know uh, insuring these people. And just like when driving cars, I remember back in the day, you didn't have to have insurance to drive a car. Uh, you had to have those tags, you know, drive a car way back in the day. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about when I was coming up, I didn't have insurance. Uh, and they had when they start passing that law, in order for you to even register your car uh, and get your tags, you have to have insurance. You cannot drive on the highway without it. But, but why um, not do the same thing with guns? If you're going I, to get I, a gun, why not a get gun? a license to get a gun? And why not have insurance? And so just in case you accidentally hurt someone that they can get covered. And if you deliberately hurt someone, that their family or their survivors will will get compensated for something you did. It's the same thing with a car. If I go out here and run over and kill somebody with a car, my insurance company got to pay somebody for that infraction. So why not have the same thing with a car? And especially the NRA is saying that a car and a gun are one of the same. Hey, you people. know what would know be, uh, you know be a good idea? If we would have the NRA be responsible and carry all this church for all guns sold. 
that would be that would I mean that, that would be a good I mean yeah I'm thinking about that would be so awesome make it the NRA whatever guns you sell to those individuals you have to have that insurance that whenever that individual causes anybody harm to anyone you will pay <laughs> out of your pocket for the loss of life or limb you know yeah yeah uh, that 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 would be that would be wow you're coming up with some good ideas there chief. <laughs> oh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're here at G25CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roswell's Corner, one-on-one with the people of the nation and the world, here with none other than Big Chief. And, of course, you know, and what I wanted to do is, of course, you go to our website at www.g25cl.com, visit our website, look and purchase all the great music, and the artists, and of course, United We Stand 595, everybody. You can watch this film as many times as you want within a 48-hour period, okay? And of course, our other radio shows that will be on, of course, tomorrow night, we have none other than Corey Jeffries with uh, Soul Vibrations. Friday night, we got Friday Night Confessions with Lisa and Alex. Uh, we can't wait till uh, Chief comes back on with United with Stan, but I know you're taking a hiatus right now. And then, of course, on Saturday afternoon, we have In This Place with our brother Daryl, Ron, and Mike, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I forgot the other brother's name. Mm. But that's all right. Ron Just Carter. Tune in. Yeah. 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 Uh, tune in place at 1 o'clock California time, 4 o'clock Eastern time. And then on Monday, we got Compton Politics with Lorenzo Elvis Murphy. And then on Tuesday, we have Barbara McGee and Pastor Bob. And, of course, we want to send out our well wishes to our, our brother, Rodney Best. Um, you know, shouts out to you, my brother. Um, but, of course, and then, of course, our show on Wednesday night here is off with Corner. So now, before I wrap everything up, I, I wanted to go over these statistics because I, 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 well, you think about all the people that have died just, you know, from mass shootings. We ain't going to talk about, you know, we talk about all the people that died from shootings, man. We will be here till kingdom come. But I'm going to tell you about the 10 deadliest single-day shootings in U.S. history. If the shooter was killed or died by suicide during an incident, that does that doesn't count. That that's not included in here. Okay, we're just talking about the people they killed. Okay, uh, the top number one is the Harvest Music Festival, where this man, Stephen Pollock, had killed fifty eight fifty eight people, uh, where he fires from the thirty uh, second floor of the Manley Bay Resort and Casino uh, on a crowd of more than twenty. Thousand gathered at the Las Vegas Strip for the uh, Route 99 Harvest Music Festival. He killed 58 people. He ruled, he uh, injures 500, and then he killed himself. Okay, but it's the deadliest mass shooting in modern history today. Okay, so he made the top 10. Uh, next, you have the Pulse nightclub shooting where there was 49 people killed. Uh, it was a gay club in Orlando, uh, Orlando, Florida, and at least 49 people were killed in more than. 50 were injured, and police shot and killed the guy who did it. But during uh, the operation of, of the to free the hostages, officials say he was uh, holding at the at the club, so he was holding the hostages before he killed them. Okay, 
the number three spot goes to Virginia Tech, where 32 people were killed. That was back in uh, April 2007, uh, where the student, he was a student there. He goes on the shooting rampage, killing 32 people in two locations and wounding an undetermined amount of others on the campus of Virginia Tech. Um, but that was a black Blackbird. And then the shooter dies by suicide. Like they, all, they, they take the cowardly way out to shoot themselves, you know. Um, then the Sandy Hook. This is, this is what kills me. The Sandy Hook, back in December 2012, this guy, uh, Adam Lanza, he's 20 years old, guns down 20 kids, 20 babies, ages 6 and 7, and 6 adults. Okay, and that was in Newtown, Connecticut, before turning the gun on himself. Cowardly act, you know. And the, but then later they find that he, his, um, the shooter's mother, uh, Nancy Lanza, had died of, of, a, of a gunshot wound. So he probably killed her. They said he killed her before he went to the, on the rampage at Sandy Hook. The number five spot goes to the First Baptist Church in, in Sutherland Springs, where he killed 26 people. Um, he just walked in there and just, you know, and he just killed his in-laws. That, that was a family deal right there. But he walks into a small church in a rural Texas town and guns down 26 people. And the shooter identified by two of the law enforcement sources, um, which was that uh, Kelly guy, and he was found dead after a brief chase. But it, it's unclear if he is killed or takes his own life. Uh, it's the deadliest mass shooting that was in Texas history. So Texas only had 26. Now, we ain't going to talk about the lynchings, everybody. Hello. All right. Number six, oh, five. About, uh, in Carolina, with with uh, in the church. Right there. You know what? That's not even on this list. Oh no! And that's what's sad. You know, um, that was nine. That was nine people. But this one starts with with uh, ten or more. Okay, um, in uh, at the University of Texas, eighteen people were killed, and at least thirty of them were was wounded. Um, by this guy, Joseph uh, Whitman, and he was a former U.S. Marine, um, but uh, the officers had killed him uh, in the tower, but he had, but earlier he had killed his mother and his uh, a wife uh, earlier that day, okay? So after he kills his wife and his mama, he goes and kills 18 other more people, okay? The number nine spot goes to a high school in Parson, okay, where we just had recently on on. On Valentine's Day, man, they call they call that uh, the uh, what they call it Valentine Massacre. Saint Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Yep, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, but they said that he was a trouble guy. You know, they had trouble, trouble, trouble with him. He's been reported over twenty times. He was even reported to the FBI. The FBI dropped the ball because they didn't follow through with the tips that they had on him because if they followed through with that tip, they would have gotten him. But they said they have so many thousands of different tips, they can't follow through on all of them, so that's their excuse right now. Okay? Hey, well, what about number one? Number one is still 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Come on now. And, you know, the the, the tips can go on. Yeah, the, the tips can go on. Um, but actually, there's Here's, another big one than that. If you want to, you ever heard of the Spirit of '76? Yes. Yeah. The Spirit of '76 was back in 1776. 
where they killed every black slave over the age of 12 that identified with Africa. And this is why in 1831, uh, there was a senator named Henry Berry who said that we have now cut off all light that have entered into the slave's mind, which he meant by that was that we have now cut off all knowledge that any Negro in the United States in 1831, any and all knowledge that they have of Africa, that meant that they have uh, killed off our name, our language, our culture, so that now we don't identify with Africa at all. And that was the completion of this new creation called the American Negro here in America. And that was in 1831. And that is all evidence. It's all documented. And then this is why you have this saying today of the spirit of 76, when they killed off all knowledge that we had of our homeland. And once you cut off that knowledge, then they can create you into whatever um, they want you to be. You're basically a, a trained dog at that point. You are no longer a chief. You're no longer a king. You're no longer a queen. You're no longer a, a Mandika or Watutsi. You 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 don't speak Yoruba Hausa evil anymore. All of that has now been cut off. You don't eat the foods of your homeland anymore. You're eating chitlins and pig feet and hog snouts and and collard greens and, and all the the nonsense that that keeps you a slave and and, and keeps you ignorant. And then and worst of all. You, you remember back, you mentioned earlier about what was happening in the 70s, but you and I both go back to the 60s, the 70s, and parts of the 50s, you know, when we, uh, we black was proud. You know, black man, black woman, what's up, brother, what's up, sister? And, uh, and, and, and but now it's sort of like a badge of honor if you greet another black person when when you say what's up nigga what's up my nigga oh, oh man and it just cringes me when when i hear people do this i hear people in my own family defer to each other in terms of endearment by calling themselves nigga i mean with all the stuff that we've gone through here in this country, Martin, Malcolm, Elijah, Farrakhan, NAACP, Corps, Nick, Jesse, and every other maker ever, all these people died. Just so now you here in the year 2018, so now you can continue to call yourself that horrible N-word? Something is, is you know, we can talk about white folks going around killing up thousands of people at a time with the guns and the bullets, but we are equally as bad when we still want to address ourselves 
as the 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 nigga name, and then if they don't even the people in our music industry, the business that we are in here at T two five CL, this is why it's just so great to have on some of the older soldiers on on. I maybe I'm using that term wrong, but those who are seasoned professionals that have gone through the the music in the sixties and the seventies, like Brenda and Cleveland and and Calvin Keyes and Charles Small, you know, I never hear those, those people. We know them all. We don't hear them calling us or themselves niggas. We don't hear them. And so where is the music gone? <clears throat> the pure music of, of, of the day. I was looking at the Temptations movie uh, over the weekend. It was just it just brought back so many memories of real music, real stepping, you know. And it, it's just and then you look at today, and then they and then over and with the All Star Weekend, they were showing flashbacks of Marvin Gaye uh, singing the national anthem. But here it is, they brought some little white girl out there on Sunday. Oh
who laid the path for you to get here. 300 years of our relatives, our great, great, and, and this is something that hit, if you black here in America, you had some relative that was a slave. Some relative that actually came over here on a boat for six months in a hellhole on a slave ship, getting peed on, doo-dooed on, vomited on. And if you survived all that, oh, you were lucky. You got a chance to get sold and, and got a chance to go out here and pick cotton. And so we are, you, me, and anybody else you see walking up and down the street, unless they came over here directly from Africa, we are, we had grandparents, great-great-grandparents that made this ultimate sacrifice so that we could be here today, even uh, talking on, on this worldwide radio show. So those of you who are listening out there in Radio Land, those of you who are going to be listening to the replay of the show, it's going to be archived in, in, in somebody's library, and we know that people in D.C., they're going to, they listen to all these shows. They want to know what's on these Negroes' minds and what we're thinking about and so forth. But I want to give thanks for any and all of my relatives that had to go through that living hell. And you know, whenever I go down south to Texas, Oklahoma, and walk outside, and it's 110 degrees, and, and just think about it. Somebody got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and had to get out there in all that heat and pick some damn cotton. My cousin Stan told me that he used to ride on the the cotton sack. When his father was picking cotton, he would ride on the cotton sack. And his father would pull him around by his father is picking cotton. You see, our people, and, and also with my, my grandmother, I don't think you ever met my grandmother, but I used, when I was growing up young, I used to see all these black spots on her knees and elbows. No wonder how did that happen. And then later on in life, I found out she was on her knees and elbows scrubbing white folks' floor. Then uh, you also got these jobs of going to white folks' houses and cooking and cleaning their houses and ironing and washing their clothes and stuff. And, and it just kind of, and this is the grandmother that raised me. And so this is not some slave that I didn't know, but my own biological grandmother that I knew till maybe the age of 50-something. And and so we, we've gone through a lot of suffering. You know, we may have disagreements with religions and all that, who was God, who was Jesus and Moses, who the prophets are, who was the Son of God, who's the chosen people, and all of that stuff that none of us can can actually prove up. We may have a faith, but we can't prove it. But something that we can prove beyond a doubt is the people that sacrificed 
uh, for us here in this country over the past 400 years, and some of us we actually knew. And then when you ever get a chance, if you go back down there to the slave states to visit your relatives, just look out over those fields and stuff. Visit the graveyard where where your relatives are born. We have our own graveyards here in Texas. And I, every time I go there, I go to the graveyard and I go by all those graves and I, I look at the dates and the names and stuff and 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 basically just remember them because of all the suffering and and what they had to go through in order for us to be here today. So what does Black History Month mean? Somebody says, oh, why do we have Black History Month? What are you going to have at the end of it? It ain't a matter of what you got or what you're going to get. It's a matter of give thanks to those who paved the way so that you could be here today. And I'm not talking about those that we may have disagreements with, uh, 2,000 and 3,000 and 4,000 and 5,000 years ago, who's the chosen people of God, none of that stuff. But let's just thank the people that are in graves right now in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Virginia, that paved the way for us and those who survived the that voyage of, of 10,000 miles in the hole of a, of a ship, I sure hope, I sure hope that those people now that have gone to the next dimension of life and that they're being blessed right now, they really are in that land of milk and honey and the they're there with the creator and the prophets of the creator and that they are enjoying an everlasting life because of the sacrifices that they had to go through so that we could be here today. No, 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 because I want to ask you this question because it, it always stays on my mind when we talk about our black history, we talk about the sacrifices that our, our ancestors has uh, laid down for us to be here today, I know through the grace of God, but you think about, um, you know, our ancestors and you talk about, you know, how we need to continue to be aware of where we've come from and the long journey that we have taken, not us, but our ancestors have taken, um, you know, um, in this, you know, centuries of life. When we think about teaching the the um, the young people, or even people today, I don't care if you're young, old, or you know, in between, um, to come together. Why is it? And it is always boggles my mind. You know, why is it so hard for black people to? come together as black people. I know, you know, we don't have, you know, anything about, you know, being racist or against any other ethnic, you know, ethnicity, but as black people, it just seems like we're the hardest people to come together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we have our pockets. We have our pockets, you know, but as individuals, as people, 
Why is it so dadgum hard? Is it because we're so stubborn and so hard-headed and don't want nobody to tell us what to do because we've been, we've been told what to do for the past 400 years? And now we don't want nobody to tell us nothing to do, even if it's, you know, uh, our own brothers and sisters? Why is it? I, I wonder about our own mentality when we think about coming together as, as you know, people of color. Why is it so hard? Are we, are we trying to mesh within, you know, the, the society of, you know, the white man? And I know we do. You know, I mean, what, what else would we do without, you know? Um, he has rain. You know, he's got the rain. But if we as a people would come together, because you've got to think about all, all the contributing factors that we have made within this nation, we could have our own country. Honestly, we could have our own country. But if we were to come together, I love, I love, I love <laughs> Black Panther. Man, look at here. If we were to come together, you know, on a similar ground, because you think about um, all the, the, the hardships and everything that's going on in Africa, but if you look at it, it was they were going, and you have to really dig within the message of the movie because not only was I was for the king, the good guy, but I was also for the villain. Michael B. Jordan, the brother played that role because he brought a message across that, across that screen uh, to, to black people, just to people in general, but the black folks, black folks wake up, you know, and and the analogy of how I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it away, but people people just need to go and see it, especially African American people. We blacks need to go see it and really look at the what you call the subliminal message that's going on within that movie, because mm-hmm. they held no punches on how it felt about the white man trying to rule over the black man and the technology, the resources. That uh, uh, that that country had um, the white. They had maybe one or two white. They had one, two, two white men in that movie. Was this film so, depicted in in Africa? Uh, parts in Africa and parts of here, in the United mm-hmm. States. Most all of it was filmed in Georgia. I heard they started it out in Oakland and ended in Oakland. It end. It started in Oakland. Exactly. Exactly. When when the, when the film opened up, it said Oakland, California. That's where it started. That's where the family had started before it got, got ten years, ten or twenty years later, and then some, or it came to present day, yada yada yada. But it started in Oakland in nine. Was it sixty four? I, I forget, I forget. But it was Oakland. And it ended. But it didn't end in Oakland because the fact is that this is another thing people do. Um, when at the end of the movie, they see the credits rolling, everybody leaves, right? Do not leave. Mm-hmm. Not leave after those credits because there's a whole another part of that movie still going on. Okay? So um, it, it, it's just that. Um, these kind of movies, even though all that money went to my white man, that, that it was a black producer. It was the, the, the producer and director director was a was a black boy. 
Black brother. But he's old, was, you, know he's, you know he's from Oakland, right? Yeah. 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 And, and you know he he uh, he made Fruitvale Station. You mean what? The film Fruitvale Station. Oh yes. Well, Michael yeah. Jordan was in that one. He was in, in Fruitvale Station. He was in also in uh, uh, Rocky, um, and a couple a uh, couple of movies. But the the brother's bad. Michael B. Jordan. He is bad. He played the villain in this, but he played a very very uh, pivotal role when it came to uh, bringing the realization of what the black man is going through in this country. Okay. Well, I, you know what? If Chief Dufay's still, like me and Chief, we can sit here and talk all day. But <laughs> it, it's time to wrap up our show. And, of course, we will tell uh, this film. I think black folks went to see this film more than any other black film. I think because it was an all-black cast. Yeah, so was uh, Color Purple. Uh, Ruth. Yeah, yeah, but okay, okay. Now, okay, look at the, the look at Color Purple. What happened in Color Purple? What happened? Hardship. There was being a slave and. You know, uh, uh, um, uh, no, 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 um, over this weekend, it, 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 the box office was over $240 million on the weekend. And on Monday, which was President's Day, they grossed $40 million in that one day. No other, his, no other movie in Hollywood history has made this much of an impact Besides Star Wars, and you know what they okay. do. Go back, go back to work with something you said earlier. How come black folks can't do nothing together? But with this film, black folks are working together. Yeah, very true. So, what is it from this film that we can take and transcend into everyday business, so that? we can can keep the same beat to going because it can't be that it's an all black film. United We Stand was an all black film. And 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 so um it it's just something else that's kicking in there. And we can say this for another another we go to part two on this discussion. And maybe it, 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 if I can if if I don't have a bunch of construction going on on Saturday, maybe I might do a quick show or something. Is how come black folks came together for this film, mm-hmm. but we don't come together nowhere else? That was now another we- question that was posed too. That was another question that was posed too. I I, I know I know that we can take this on out for another two hours. 
to really think yep. about the, the impact and, and what we're to take away from these films, you know, and we as a people, what what are we what are we taking away from these films? What what are we using, you know, in our everyday life to say, okay, we need to do this and come together as people. What are we doing? You know, so um well ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you've been here at T two five CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roswell's Corner. Uh here with the Galaxy Chief Andre Ward, but you know what? This this topic can go on and we need to continue because the momentum needs to keep going, and the momentum needs to snowball. And so here at T25CL, we are, you know, we're implementing that, but we need more to help and support, to support. So, all right, Chief, well, I won't be available Saturday morning. I, I'm I'm getting ready for my women's convention, so I'm all in rehearsals. been a busy couple of weeks for me, so, but um, uh, we will touch bases, okay, sir? All right. Like I said, it's it's. I've been doing a lot of construction around and a lot of noise and stuff. That's why I couldn't even call in on Daryl's show on Saturday. It's just too much noise going on, and it's a lot of dust as well. So yeah, well, you uh, gotta, no, you gotta take care of yourself, sir. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it'll be greater later. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight. Of course, the show has been recorded. You can go back and listen to it because you're going to get some tidbits out of this show, for sure, as you do with all our shows. So with uh, no further ado, I just want to thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Chief, for joining me tonight, sir. And uh, we want to wish everyone a good night. Good night, everybody. Peace. Hey, okay. Yeah.